The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world. And we put a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today I'm really excited to have as my guest, Andrea Sullivan, and we'll be talking about the science of leadership and optimal performance. And I like the timing of this because if you remember last week, we discussed the art of group leadership. So this week, we're going to take a more scientific approach to understanding leadership and specifically how we can use our brains to ensure peak performance. Before I get started, let me tell you a little bit about Andrea. She is president of Brain Strength Systems, a learning and performance organization providing training programs in and presentations on leadership and personal mastery. Andrea holds a master's degree in organizational psychology and has introduced brain-compatible training programs into many organizations, including Fortune 500 companies such as Merck, Aetna, and Northrop Grumman Corporation. So, Andrea, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you. So, it seems like we're learning about new technologies every day that are designed to save time and make us more productive, but sometimes it feels overwhelming just to keep up with the complexity of it all, and it can be really stressful. Can you offer some ways that we can improve our ability to manage complexity and feel like we're more in control, or at least, if we're not in control, feel more calm and productive? Yes, definitely. Um, Okay, so the first thing to understand really is to put this into perspective. Cultural evolution, what we're going through right now, we're always going through it, it's very fast right now. Cultural evolution is much faster than biological evolution. So our brains have not caught up with the demands of our lives. And this is pretty much the stress that we're experiencing. Our brains are optimized for life on the savannah way back when, not mm. for 21st century life. Really different life conditions, really different commands on us. So often we feel like we're literally not able. We can't handle everything. It, it's just, you know, we're not designed to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is that we are able, we just need to be proactive and we need to take charge of our brains and rewire them so that they do work well in our current lives. So the first thing for everyone to understand is about neuroplasticity. You may have heard that term. Mm-hmm. Our brain is very capable of rewiring itself and in fact, our, our neurons, our brain cells 
Um, they change their connections. They, the strength of connections changes with every single experience that we have. We're just learning to use this, and it's, it's really fantastic that we're getting a, a handle on how is it that we literally develop our own brains. So in terms of... Um, you know, managing our workloads and all the many things that we have to do in our lives, the part of our brain that we want to develop and to strengthen is called the executive brain. It's our prefrontal cortex. And mm-hmm. it's the part of our brain that, that, you know, you think of when, you're, when we're thinking, when we're using our brain that way. And it gives instructions to the rest of our brain and to our bodies. And the way that we exercise it is simply by using it, using the different functions. So if there's um, something that you or another an employee of yours or a coworker or whatever is not good at, then instead of saying, oh, I'm not good at this, no, you know, you go after it, you start practicing. And it's just like a muscle, really, that, that the more you use it, the more it will grow. Um, nice. In terms of our technology, it's very individual, and it's depending on a lot of factors. And you need to really choose wisely. There is so much new technology coming out now, and we don't need to feel obligated to jump on every new thing and use it. Only use what works for you. Only use what helps you. How do we know what that is? <laughs> well, you can feel it. You can, you know, you see it. Like, I, I know sometimes, you know, with the mobile apps, I'll, I'll say, boy, that's a really good idea, and then I'll start to use it, and I'll see, you know what, this is taking a lot more time than it's actually saving me, and I'll go back to pen and paper for that particular thing because it's simpler for me. Okay. Um, other people, they like the mobile app, you know, it's, it's good, and it works for them. Um, so it's different, you know, it, it, you have to really work with yourself and, and, and look at what is actually working, what is not. The second part of it is to watch out for addiction because we are really addicted. Um, we get to, it's certainly to surfing the Internet and, and a variety of different things that they take more time than they're giving back. Well, um, can I ask you about that? Does, yeah, yeah, sure. It, for, is it the same kind of an addiction pattern that somehow the brain is creating chemicals that make us addicted to it? Is it the yeah, same absolutely. kind of process? It has to do with dopamine, which I'm, I'm going to talk about later. I can talk about okay. it now. Dopamine is, is a most fa- fantastic, really, brain substance. Uh, it's a neurotransmitter. It's major. It has to do with learning. It has to do with motivation. And it has a lot to do with our survival system. So we, we basically, we, um, dopamine is like a predictive database chemical. And what it is is that... When it's released, we feel good. And when dopamine is released is usually when um, reality will match our expectations. When dopamine is low, we will look for any way to increase it because we really need it. And it's behind the drug addictions. It's behind cigarette smoking, they're finding out, food addictions, gambling, huge, hugely behind gambling because we're looking for that next fix. Mm-hmm. And so we're anticipating this reward and dopamine's released as soon as we get it and then it drops and then we're looking for the next reward. And we're that way a little bit with environmental stimuli if we are very externally directed. And that's the whole key. Am I being pulled by the stimuli coming at me all day? Am I being very reactive or am I being inner directive? Am I telling myself? what I'm going to pay attention to. Because the main thing for getting control of all of this complexity is that we are in touch with 
our own goals, and then we're able to stay focused on them during the day, and that requires being able to direct our attention. The challenge is that our prefrontal cortex is not really that strong in the brain, so our emotions are always, always trumping it and you know, taking us this way, that way, and the other way, and that has a lot to do with dopamine and other, other chemicals as well that we get off track. And then, you know, before we know it, the day's gone by. I mean, we can spend the whole day being reactive. So it's really, it's important that, that we begin to really take charge of that process. Well, um, and it, I would think part of it would just be noticing it, it to begin with, right? Before absolutely. we could take charge. Absolutely. It, it has to do, all of this that we're going to talk about today has to do with being aware of what's happening inside of ourselves and then being able to use that to be aware of what's happening inside of other people in the sense of, you know, if you're a manager, you're a leader, and you want to be able to support other people in doing their best, you know, you really need to be able to see what's going on with them. And everyone's very, very different. So, yes, awareness is huge. Um, the other thing in terms of being calm and productive is our stress management strategies because what gets us off base more often than everything really is any kind of negative emotional state. Mm. So um, I always suggest mindfulness practice and meditation is great, totally rewires the brain, totally strengthens your executive brain. And it doesn't have to be meditation, though. It can be that when you're doing the dishes, you pay attention to being present and doing the dishes. When you're working on um, a project and it's complex thinking, you know that you're paying attention to that. Now, people have different um, capacities for multitasking, and it it goes uh, a lot by generations, which we'll talk about later in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to know your, your own self that when is it that I need to not answer the phone? When is it that I need to not look at my emails or, or turn off the notifier for my texts, you know, mm. so that I can focus on what I need to get done? Incompletes are a huge part of our stress, and we all have so many of them. We very rarely get to, like, really complete something, move on to the next, complete. I mean, I remember that. We used to be, right. my teacher taught me that, right? We don't get to do that so much anymore. We get to take it to the next step and then put it aside to juggle the next ball. So, well, I, you know, can I just say, too, that yeah. I've, I've learned to just lower my expectations because I know that if I expect a lot, if I expect to complete a lot, even if I don't get it all done, I'll get more done than if I lower my goals. And so I have a to-do list every day, and I have great ideas of things I want to finish. And I might only finish half, but I wouldn't have gotten that far had I only aimed at the half. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. And I think people are different that way too. Like for me, I'm best off doing my three top priorities for the day. Mm -hmm. And then I get those complete at the level that I want them completed. And then I have, and then I can stop and, you know, have lunch, whatever, take stock and decide, okay, what do I do with the rest of my time? So everybody's different. And that's where the inner awareness comes in, that we know Mm -hmm. ourselves and we begin to work with our own systems, the way Mm -hmm. that they work. A couple of other things you can do for stress management is to identify stressors and eliminate them if you can. We all have to get very very proactive because there's way too much. And the thing to understand about our brain, consciousness developed actually way back when, when there was too many many stimuli coming in and we had to stay alive. And -hmm. our consciousness developed to make us aware of what's actually relevant. So, you know, the tiger chasing me and wanting to eat me, that's relevant. And that's why the survival system, like, takes over, you know. 
Right. Well, we don't have that kind of threat anymore. So we have to do that for ourselves and to say, this is important, this is not. And then really start saying no, you know, that, that we, um, we say, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, is, that is not important today. I, I'm, you know, maybe next week. And we get, and, and we get you know, sweet about it and, you know, but do it. Well, and are there ways that we can even set up reward systems for ourselves to kind of give us the dopamine or whatever it is we need to reinforce the other yes. behavior? Yes. And actually, we'll, when we talk about dopamine again later, we'll, we'll talk about that because it's all about expectations. Mm. So um, if we have a reward, and it's about emotions too, knowing that the emotional system is really much stronger than our executive brain because it's been around a lot longer. It's got a lot more connections and wow. it's connected with our survival. Yeah. So the emotions in, in most people, unless you've worked on yourself for a very long time and have really <laughs> developed that executive brain, and even with people that have, um, those emotions are going to trump that thinking. So um, setting up expectations and setting up a little reward when you complete something or when you achieve something is a really good way to engage your emotional system and engage that dopamine. Yeah, and when you were talking about how our emotional system is so much more powerful than the executive brain, I, I couldn't help but think of how the really good marketing companies know this. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, there's a whole, neuromarketing. It's a whole new field. That really? They, they are aiming at your emotions. Absolutely. I mean, I always think about the, the, the um, pharmacology commercials where there's the, the wonderful, happy, dancing people, and then, there's, and then buried in there because the brain notices first and last. So buried in the middle, there's all the side effects spoken very quickly, very quietly. And then they go back to the happy people. You know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, exactly. And our brain gets, you know, that gets the message that, okay, this is a happy thing, you know, and really minimizes. So yeah, they know it. And, and um, boy, the, the grocery stores now are all set up to appeal to our emotions. A lot of things are, are really working that way. And uh, the, some of the news stations do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. They know. Because it works, you know, it's, it's the way that it is. So we need to understand and take charge of that process. Because otherwise, again, then we're not just being externally directed, we're being externally de- determined, and we're allowing other people to influence our emotional state, and that's, that's not good. Yeah, well... In technical terms. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm thinking, because you were mentioning later in the show, um, I want to make sure we have time for this, because I think it's a really interesting way of looking at all the things we just talked about, which is that you mentioned in your website, brainstrength.net, that for the first time in history, the workplace includes four distinct generations. Each of these generations have their unique strengths, expectation values, and work styles. And, and it sounds like really knowing what these are, are important as leaders and, um, and uh, as I guess, as our own behavior. Can you expand on that, some of these ways that uh, we, we're different in our strengths, expectations, values, and work styles? Yeah, I, I can. I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to finish the stress management first. Oh, sorry, yes, And then we please. can go right into that. No, that's, yeah, that's okay. Because um, there's a couple of other really good things that you can do. And one of them is, if you know that you're going into a stressful situation like a meeting or a very important you know, conversation or something, you use a relaxation technique before, during, and after and prepare yourself. I mean, really take charge of your physical state that way. Visualizing your ideal outcome is also really, really 
you know, mental imagery is very effective. We make fun of it sometimes, and it's really effective. So, so do that. The other thing is to create familiar and calming rituals. And I, I do this all the time. I give a lot of presentations, and I'm a little bit shy, so I get nervous sometimes. And mm-hmm. I've now I've developed this habit of going for a walk in nature prior to any big presentation or any time when I'm nervous. Nature automatically calms people, and then it grounds me and helps me to reframe the presentation because ultimately it's really not that important. Oh, that's and, a great idea. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. And, and you, can, you can, you know, find whatever works for you that calms you beforehand so that you don't really allow your brain to get used to being nervous, used to being stressed. Because remember, every experience that you undergo is going to wire your brain that way. You're going to tend to feel that way more often in future. So we don't want to let ourselves hang out in those negative spaces. Well, um, can even, I? Yeah, I wish, let me just say one thing. Even therapists are now coming around to, like we used to say, you know, if, you, if you're sad, feel sad, and if you're angry, feel angry, and that's starting to change. It's like, so give yourself a little bit of time to acknowledge and feel whatever negative emotion it is, and then stop and get yourself onto something positive because you don't want to wire your brain that way, and it's the same with stress. If you're stressed, you're not going to be productive. As soon as you can, take a break, center yourself again, get yourself relaxed, and then go back to work. You'll be more productive, and it's healthier. That's, that's fascinating. And, and when you were talking about the, the ways that we, um, you know, we rewire every time we experience these, do, do you also think we get that, some of that wiring from even being exposed to violence in the media or, or, or depression or, you know, sad stuff, um, sad Absolutely. stories? Okay. Absolutely. I don't watch sad movies anymore. No, I <laughs> can't know, like, deal with them. Why would I want to wire that in? You know, I, I right, or even violent stuff. I yeah. cannot watch it. And if I'm ever in a movie theater where it comes on and I didn't expect it, like the previews are sometimes overwhelming, I will cover my eyes and block my ears and hum because I don't want the wiring in me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really true. And again, we have to remember everyone's different. So, you know, some people can watch it and they don't have an emotional reaction to it. Then you're fine. You know, so it's okay. for different people. It's all, it's all about working with, with our own brain. Um, the, uh, the final thing I wanted to say in terms of complexity that, that we all really need to understand is that our work, the nature of our work, has become so complex that no one person can do anything, you know, very much alone. Let's put it that way. We can, we can do certain things alone, but projects... Most complex tasks are now collaboration for a reason. It's because it's very, very complex. There's only so much that our minds can think about. Mm. Um, so, you know, really learn to collaborate with other people. And when you're feeling like you've got too much on your plate, um, that you're, then it's a little bit too late. So you need to be proactive again. Form your alliances at work. Know who you can delegate what to. Have people that you trade off with. That, mm-hmm. And on your teams, you know, let everybody know it's okay to ask for help when you get overloaded. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, learn to collaborate well with other people because that's what we're really looking at. When I, when I think about optimal brain performance, I don't think about just my own brain anymore. I think about the global brain and I think about all of us because that's the way to optimize our performance right now. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, it's just time for a break. Um, it's just such a nice thought to have that kind of global view uh, as we go to break. So I want to 
just remind everyone, my guest today is Andrea Sullivan, and you can learn more about Andrea at brainstrength.net. And we've been talking about ways to manage complexity and how to use our uh, intention to to avoid stress and actually create being more productive and, and optimize performance. And uh, when we return, we'll get into some of the differences between the generations. So we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia's here, and I'm back with Andrea Sullivan, president of Brain Strength Systems. So before the break, we were talking about different ways to manage complexity and encourage optimal performance. And one of the things Andrea kept reminding me of is that we're all different. And so I had teased into a question that I want to expand more about the different generations in the workplace and how they have their unique strengths and expectations and values and work styles. And so as leaders, how what is useful to know about that? And, and please share some of those differences with the, my audience. Okay. Um, I think really what's important to understand is that it's a new kind of diversity. And we're all used to you know, learning about different cultures, different races, different genders, and different learning styles. This is, this is simply a new kind of diversity that we need to create workplaces that accommodate everybody. So um, the four generations are the traditionalists, baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z is about to come up, but they're not quite there yet. Um, and again, you know, I don't like to put anybody into a box, so please take the descriptions as what they are. It doesn't mean that any one person fits in any one group, and plenty of people straddle. So um, the traditionalists tend to be very stable, detail-oriented, thorough, very loyal. A lot of them were used to staying with one company their whole life, hardworking. Um, and it's, um, 
you know, it's a little hard for them. A lot of them are close to retirement age or have already retired. So it's very important that they feel respected, that we honor their wisdom because they do have a level of experience and wisdom beyond what younger generations have. Um, boomers tend to be really service-oriented and driven. It's very interesting. We're, I'm mm. a boomer. We're willing to go the extra mile. Pretty good at relationships. Most boomers, again, that's not going to apply to everybody. And usually are good team players. So, um, you know, with, with the boomers, you really want to let them know they're valued, uh, give the opportunity to make contributions, and really, um, you know, be a, be a valued member of the team. Mm-hmm. Generation X is a little bit different. Interesting, grew up there when a lot of, with X's, most parents, both parents were out of the house working. So they're very independent, really a different, different type of um, style. They love to be creative, work on their own. They're not intimidated by authority, uh, tend to be pretty adaptable. Sometimes, and again, not always, uh, and especially as the exes get older, they're learning. Sometimes they're less experienced with people because they're more used to being home alone. So with the exes, you always want to give them as much um, independence, autonomy as you can. Let them do it the way that they want to do it. They don't subject them to a lot of rules. Um, they are very, very cynical. <laughs> in terms of, they don't buy into hype. I mean, it's really, it's really funny. They're very, very um, aware. Um, and let them do things at their own way. Well, so can I just ask you about yeah. that? Because if they don't buy the hype, are they then, do you think they're a little bit more in control of their emotions as far as reacting to things? Like no, maybe not commercially? Oh, okay. Not necessarily. No, not, that's a different continuum. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's okay. Continue. Um, Okay. Generation Y is raised very differently. By the time the Ys were were growing up, really, um, a lot of the moms went to part-time work or stayed home because they felt that, you know, by then we realized it's not good to put the child in front of the television all day, that that (laughs) doesn't really work. So a lot of the moms were now paying more attention and the Gen Ys, and this is somewhat different depending on demographics and uh, social strata because um, it mainly applies to middle-class kids, so you have to be careful and, and know where your whys come from. The middle-class kids, though, these are the ones that went to play soccer, be in ballet, be in the band, and they got shepherded from one, one activity to another. They're very used to being structured. They like structure. They like mm-hmm. being part of the team. They like collective action. Um, their technological comfort is, is way beyond most of the rest of the generations. And so often they are no more about the technology and then they're teaching the elders, which happens to work for both groups. Which is really <laughs> yeah. interesting. They have very heroic spirit. They, they tend to really want to uh, perform and, and are just uh, wonderful at multitasking. Their brains are actually different in terms of the multitasking. The other generations can't really multitask. Basically, we're, we're sequential and we just go, go quickly from one task to another. The Ys and especially the Zs, their brains have really adapted to the point where they can, in fact, multitask. So um, you want to give them the opportunity. You want to provide structure for Ys. They like that structure. They want quick feedback. They want a lot of abundant feedback. They're used to it. These kids were brought up where they did team building, they did leadership, they did communication skills, you know, starting in elementary school. And the funniest story, I have a really just quick funny story. When my daughter was 
about 18, and she went, she went to work. She was working in a store, and her manager apparently was not well-trained and, you know, used a lot of negative feedback. And my daughter came home one day and said, didn't this woman go to school? She doesn't have any leadership skills. Oh, that's <laughs> really funny. It was wow. really funny, yeah. So you have to understand, these kids are sharp, and, and they have had really professional development training starting in elementary school. Well, and I also learned from another guest that they want their they want to patronize companies that are more socially responsible. Yeah, they very they have a very very large perspective in terms of our society, and and they and they have a, a sense of personal responsibility as well, which is really lovely to see. Yeah. So That's- you know, just to to wrap that up, really, you know, I'm always telling the leaders that I work with to. To really, you know, get to know who's working for you. And you don't go by any one scheme or model. You know, you want to take into account personality style, behavior style, communication style, leadership style, work style. There's all different types of styles. So familiarize yourself with the style research. And then, you know, have, have a standard in your department or unit that, you know, we're all, we're all very much the same. We're more the same than we're different, actually. Mm-hmm. In terms of peak performance, though, you want to accommodate people's own individual style. And in order to do that, you need to understand them. You need to understand what their style is. And you need to be able to flex your own style. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. So, you... Um, talked about the brain being structured in certain ways. Can you share too with my listeners some of the ways you can actually boost your brain performance maybe sure, to help yeah. concentration and memory in my case? <laughs> yeah. It's um it's really interesting. There are there are basics in terms of health. One of the best things you can do is physical exercise. They have done studies that just blow me away in terms of how a regular exercise regime, improves cognitive performance, improves your ability even as you age, um, whatever age you're at, to think. It's, mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Exercise, exercise brings oxygen to the brain. It creates beneficial neurotransmitters. And the effects last longer than, uh, you know, 30 minutes or an hour than you're exercising. So, so that's huge. And then food is also huge. Keeping blood sugar levels stable throughout the day is really important. So important. They are now um, calling Alzheimer's diabetes type 3 because they see that it's connected. Yeah, it's connected to um, having a lifetime of of, um, uh, blood sugar levels that are going up and down, up and down, up and down. So, you know, we need to be careful and to eat healthy foods. I mean, there's all kinds of new information, too, about the way that our food is processed. The processed food is really bad for our blood sugar level and, and a lot of other things as well. It's, it's, it's just not good for us. So you don't have to go crazy and, you know, go on a vegan diet or anything. It's uh-huh. just a matter of eating healthy foods, eat locally as much as possible, organically as much as possible. And, again, it's, it's, not, it's not an all or nothing. So, you know, do the best. Start with one thing, two things. Um, I started by cutting out bread. I still miss it. <laughs> you know, I allow myself a, a cheat meal once a week, you know, 
And yeah. um, I feel better and I'm performing better. I find that my mind is working better. So, so careful with the food. Well, um, the other thing I've heard too is that fats are important for the brain. And we've been told oh, to eat very. low fats, but there are good fats. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. I could talk all day about food. And, and anyone who's interested, <laughs> go on my website. There's articles that, um, on there about, about food because it's, it's really huge. Um, fats are very important for the brain. And it's... Um, Oddly enough, I mean, like, like we know olive oil and fish oils are good for us, but w- the one that is just beginning to show up now is um, that f- animal fats are actually good for our brain if the animals are free-range, grass-fed, and they're yes. not fed grains. That, the fats, fats are actually, actually different, bad for right? Us. Yeah, those, those animal fats are good for us, and it's, it's uh, in a lot of ways, and they're good for our brains, too. They're good for our heart, too. Um, so you definitely want to research that and get into it because I think we need to support those farmers as well. I mean, and with the humanity, with the humane raising of the animals too, we all want to support. But even if you're just interested in your own performance and your own health, metabolic syndrome, which has to do with high blood pressure, low thyroid, you know, all that, all that bad stuff, um, they're showing more and more it's coming from the processed food. Asthma. Asperger's syndrome. I mean, there's a lot of things that are connecting to it. That's really interesting. And it seems like a very powerful thing to do much change sort of at a, at a high level. But if we all become educated and change it as, uh, for, as consumers, then I think we can actually change, change the system for the better. But I, I totally agree. We should be supporting local organic farmers and being really careful. So yep. thank you. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so in terms of what you can do behaviorally to influence your brain's information processing ability, you want to uh, rewire, again, your executive brain. And then you can do that by practicing whatever it is you want to be good at. So, for example, with me, um, I'm, I'm not that great with numbers. So whenever I have to do finances, you know, there's a little bit of, oh, my God, in there. And then, I, you know, I start. And there's a thing called mental momentum that once you get into it, you get into it. So I start, and I'm a little slow at first, and then I pick up speed, and, you know, and then I'm doing fine. Well, when I'm in that state, I do not pick up the phone because I know as soon as I lose that momentum – I'm gone. I have to start all over again. So That's maintain, smart. Yeah, maintain your momentum. The other thing, speed of thought is uh, mediated partially by our cerebellum, little, little part of the brain, which is also involved with movement and motor control. So you can warm up yourself if you know you're going into a demanding task or, or a meeting or something with physical exercise. Mm. Um, there's also an effect called neurobics. Doing things in new ways creates what are called neurotrophins in our brain, and they act like a brain fertilizer in that they um, create an environment in the brain where the neurons are, are, can make new connections. So you can build your brain faster by doing this. So, That's you know, fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so just do something different every day. You know, use, use your other hand, drive to work differently, put mm-hmm. your clothes on differently. You know, it doesn't have to be big. Just do things in new ways to shake yourself up a little bit. And I um, always knew that that was good to stimulate creativity, but I didn't know it rewired the brain or made the brain more able to rewire more quickly. The idea of a brain fertilizer, that's fascinating. Isn't that great? Yeah, it creates, it creates a healthy environment in your brain, just like creating healthy soil where we can grow more. Um, I want to say a little bit about memory because, of course, we're all interested in our memory. Do exercises. Now, some of the brain programs online are good, some are not so good, and the research is still out. 
So I would say, again, if you find it helping you, do it. If you feel like it's not doing anything, it's probably not. Um, for long-term memory, repetition is important. So always, you know, just make yourself go through that extra step of repeating it to yourself, of constructing and reconstructing what you've learned or what you want to remember, and then create an emotional connection. If you really mm-hmm. want to rec- uh, remember something, remember how strong emotions are in the brain, and they're very strong with memory, too. We all remember those traumatic things that we've gone through or those peak experiences that we've gone to. So create an emotional connection if there's something you really want to remember. So does um, that wire it differently? Yes. Yeah, totally wires it differently. The, the emotional system places a value on a particular event or memory that like tags it as being important. And then it goes into our survival memory. And that's, that's the strongest. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, also, also important is sleep. I know you've heard it. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's heard this. It is really important. Our brain is not off when we're sleeping. It is manufacturing proteins that are important for learning consolidation. So, mm. you know, Whatever you do, don't short yourself. If you have, you know, a night of, you know, four or five hours sleep, that's not going to hurt. Um, don't do it many nights in a row. And if you have to, take naps. Naps help. So the other final thing with uh, memory, working memory, what we can hold in our minds at any one time is quite limited. Uh, plus or minus four items, actually, without repetition. With repetition, it's plus or minus seven. So you want to protect your working memory by clearing away everything that's non-essential. You can either use your phone or keep a notebook handy to capture any stray thoughts while you're focusing on something. Don't go off, you know, get up, make a phone call, and then go back. Again, you're losing your momentum. So you can use the technology. That's a really good use for it, to store what it can so that your memory is free to focus on the complex thinking. That's really interesting. So, so people that are constantly taking little notes on their iPhone or their smartphone are actually <laughs> freeing up their brain to be more powerful in, in yeah. what's going on in the more complex thinking. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And I, I love what you said about sleep because I've noticed that. And I have, I have a particular friend that thinks it's great that he can drive straight through for something like 30 hours drinking Red Bull and I just worry about his health because I can't imagine that's good for the brain. Well, well, again, and, and just, to, just to let everyone know, I, I heard a great thing which I love. It's not what you do once in a while that mm. will matter. It's what you do every day that matters. So if you're at an event and, and you're excited and you want to stay up and you can't sleep, you know, that's fine. That's not going to hurt you. Develop okay. good habits most of the time. That's good to know. Okay, so we don't have to be perfect all the time. Just God, no. the, the things we do regularly are the ones that are really going to cement the processes and the behaviors that we want. So we're just up on our second break. Uh, this has just been such a fascinating conversation. I'm here with Andrea Sullivan of Brain Strength Systems, and you can read a lot more about Andrea's work at brainstrength.net, and we'll be back in a few minutes. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. So, hi, Olivia. It's back here with Andrea Sullivan of Brain Strength Systems. Before the break, we were talking about really some things that we could do to create a healthy brain physically um, and, and behaviors. Uh, we talked a little bit about food and then some practices, sleep, and just really how what we do day-to-day is the most important thing for creating the brain function that we want. So if we do something once in a while that's not great for us, it's, it's not as important as what we do every day. What I'd like to know now is how does our knowledge of the brain kind of coupled with social, social research, help us as leaders to facilitate change? Great question, because it's something that we're all dealing with. Things are changing so fast, and it's not just ourselves. We have to enable our companies and our employees to change as well. So the first thing to know is that the brain does not like change. It has to do, again, with this survival system that we have. And survival is our primary imperative physiologically. That's the most important thing, according to our brains and our bodies. This, again, has to do with dopamine. And um, Olivia was asking me on the break about the predictive database. Our brain remembers every single thing that has ever happened in our lives. And it goes into this database that enables us to enter into a situation and have a sense of what to expect. And as long as we have that sense of what to expect, we feel safe. If we don't feel safe, you know, everything goes, goes very haywire uh, immediately. So um, it involves dopamine. Again, dopamine is the way that we know what the database is predicting because dopamine, again, is going to be released. We're going to feel good when we at reality matches our expectations. So when dopamine is released, also know we are motivated, we're alert, we learn better, we pay attention, we're in. You know, that's, that's a dopamine thing. When things are changing, we don't know what's going to happen. So our survival system goes on alert. We're very uncomfortable. That's why it's so hard to hang out with uncertainty. Our survival system would actually rather have a negative result than not know. So sometimes when we're in a situation, I see, you see it all the time with job hunting, 
we hate being out of work. So most of us. So, you know, when we're job hunting, we will take a job we don't really want because we can't stand it anymore. We have to have something. That's dopamine. It, it, it's just, you know, that, that sense of, of I don't know what's going to happen here is really one of the worst things for our brain to go through. So knowing this, what you want to do is introduce change very slowly and keep a balance between the familiar and the new. So, you know, a lot of companies, we know that, you know, something like 70% of change initiatives fail. Often there's this wonderful scheme, great idea, you know, a consultant (laughs) comes in and, all right, we're going to do this, and it fails because people just cannot change that quickly and that that intensively. It's, It's totally chaotic. So keep a balance between the familiar and the new. Then there's that safety there so that people can incorporate the new little by little and do their learning. Um, the next thing to do is to intentionally create positive expectations so that people have a sense of what to expect. And I think scenario planning is the best way to go with this because then there is that comfort that, okay, so if the worst happens, at least we've got a plan. You know, mm, there's plan no B. fallback here. Yeah, and we have plan A, we've got plan B, maybe we've got plan C. With, with scenario planning, you have several. You know, you address everything so that at least there's something there that people can hold on to to what they're going to do. And then the third part of that is to address people's negative ex- expectations because otherwise if they're not addressed and everyone feels like they have to say yes and go along with it and the leaders are excited, so I'm going to pretend to be excited, you know, you have to yes. really draw out those fears, draw out those negative expectations and then address them, take them seriously so that people are not hanging out there with them unsaid. What happens when things go underground is that it becomes a source of sabotage and then that's how the initiative fails. That's uh, interesting yeah. because I think sometimes what we create, which is what I like about setting a great, great, the good expectations, but if people are harboring negative ones, I think that can actually help create it in the sense of, you know, how our thoughts in the quantum yeah. field create our reality. So, well, it does because then what happens is that, um, that dopamine system will create a feeling of being good when something, feeling good when something fails because, oh, I knew it. Right. You get to be right about it. You get to be right. <laughs> yeah. And then that's, you feel safe. That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah. I was wondering, you know, you said when you're introducing change, you need to keep a balance between new and, and the familiar. Does that vary by generation? That's like, a really good question. Um, Possibly to some degree, possibly because the younger generation is growing up, getting more used to change. They're more familiar mm-hmm. with change itself. So there is, and, and also I think as the, as the brain ages, we like change less and less. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, because in my experience, or, on that. <laughs> excuse me. Um, yes, in my experience, I've seen companies, the ones that are more, uh, you know, standard older companies have had a much tougher time really reinventing themselves to stay competitive where it seems like these new startups that are all based around maybe new technologies or, you know, new inventions, they can adapt much more quickly to the changing market and the people, maybe, you know, there are younger people there as well, but they they seem to kind of get off on it, the, the new 
they get their dopamine from the from being surprised a little bit more, perhaps, or something. Well, yeah, and well, yeah, novelty always creates dopamine. Also, though, realize that a lot of that though is that they are changing old-fashioned ways to newer ways. They are familiar with the new ways. So in a sense, they're going with what they're familiar with, and they're happy that the company is coming up to date with what they're familiar with. That's, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thanks. So can you talk a little bit maybe about how uh, knowledge of the brain and, and social research affects uh, choice and decision-making? Yep, this is another big issue in our time because we have too many choices. There is, there is no question that we have too many choices. So what I really want to alert people to is that decision-making itself has a lot of research around it. And what we found, and particularly I've been really playing around with this because it really, really works, is that there are two brain systems, different brain systems involved in decision-making. One of them is our logical brain, which is very linear, very detail-oriented, takes in all the different costs, benefit, you know, advantages, disadvantages <laughs> of each option. You can list it. You can use a decision-making tool, you know, and it comes mm-hmm. out with a comparison. Well, that is useful to a certain point. It'll narrow you down to, you want to get to around three choices seems to be our top, um, seems to be the amount of choices that we can handle well. Then you want to use your emotional system. And this is the part that people don't know about, and I I really want you to know about it. Um, The logical system can't handle all that much information. Our emotional system, on the other hand, takes in a huge amount of information. It remembers every single thing. And it processes it on a non-conscious level. So it's not in language. It's not in words. We're not aware of it. What we are aware of is a sense of feeling good about a particular choice. So we have our top three that we've arrived at in a very practical, concrete, linear way. And then what I suggest to people is sleep on it, let it digest, and then look at it again and see which choice you feel the best about, which do you feel good about, and then trust that. I see people go wrong so often because they don't trust that. So trust yourself. Trust your emotional system. Learn to use it for information because it will process all that, you know, thousands and thousands of bits of information. And the only way that it has to express to you what its decision is is by Mm -hmm. your feelings. Well, that's fascinating, and it makes so much sense. I've actually found solutions using... I think what you're talking about in the sense that if I'm trying to solve a problem and I've been, I just get stuck after all the linear processes, then if I go exercise or take a nap or, or do something where I don't think about it, the solution sometimes just comes to me. And exactly. so I think it's going into that nonlinear brain where there's a lot more information, but I can't control it. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what works with creativity, too. That's why it usually it really works to, um, you know, take a break and do something else that doesn't require thinking if you need a solution or if you need to be problem-solving or creative. Because what it does is it, it turns off that um, logical part of our brain, which allows other parts of the brain to connect with each other and associations to form and all this other processing to happen. Oh, so when people are daydreaming, they may actually be doing some really good processing and uh, yes. should be, per- <laughs> be perhaps rewarded or given time to do that. Yes, uh, we all need to, to spend that time with ourselves and take that time. There's actually another really funny saying that I absolutely love. Don't just do something, sit there. Uh, <laughs> you know, because we're so ah. busy doing, we don't give ourselves 
We don't give our brains the opportunity to process. That's great. And I have to say, too, at the beginning of the show, when you were talking about how we have much more brain elasticity than we believed, uh, we were always told um, in my generation as kids that you can't teach an old dog new tricks and that our brains were hardwired by the time we were five. So it's just really exciting to know that we have all these abilities to change our brains and that we're learning about so many more aspects of it that we can utilize to manage what we're up against, which is just all this rapid change and complexity and um, things that we really need to access our brains for some of these huge challenges we have on the planet. So it's very, very interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. So I would love to know, unless you had any more thoughts about that. or No, go right uh, ahead. Um, so I, we have about three minutes left. And can you just give me an idea if I'm a company and I come to you and I say, I really want you to help me uh, make my company work better, have all my employees work towards peak performance. What would you do first? And maybe just give me a little overview of how that process would work. Okay, sure. Um, I work first with the leaders to educate leaders and um, assist them with their own skills and then raise awareness and then work with them to work with, you know, the next tier down, the next tier down to include everybody, of course, including some company-wide, um, you know, meetings as well and workshops as well, so that everybody becomes aware of how they can work together. And it's really fascinating, you know, when we devote the time and the energy to understanding who we are as people and who we are as, as humans and how the machinery works like, you know, it's not really machinery, but how, how does it all work? That we become, we have many, many more tools in our, work bo- in our uh, toolbox to work with each other well. Because that is, I, I think, you know, people are, our resource. It's all, you know, it's knowledge work now. It is. Right. And it's all, a lot of what, I do a lot of project management training and really, you know, hands down, it's the, it's the people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. You know, if there's a, if there's a holdup, if there's a problem on a team, it's almost always either personal or interpersonal. It's not the work per se. Now, do we need to handle a lot of work in our heads? Yes, we do. And like I was saying in the beginning, we even do that better when we collaborate better. So, so I work on those personal skills and interpersonal skills. And it's, it's so amazing. I mean, everybody wants to contribute. Everybody wants to do a good job. So if we can set up the environment to be um, beneficial for everybody and then everybody's got some, some level of skill that allows us to communicate better, to appreciate and respect each other and, and um, understand how to work with each other. It just, it, it turns things around. It just turns things, and it's, and it's lovely, and it's so much more fun. Oh, that's great. Fun. And do you find yourself actually coaching people then privately as part of the process at times? Yeah, I do both. I, I work um, more on the training level because I feel that I can reach more people uh, when people want individual coaching, I'm happy to provide it. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually usually I'll come in on the, the consulting and the training level. Well, thank you. And so, again, thanks for being on the show. I, I want to encourage everybody to go to your website, brainstrength.net. And uh, I just really want to thank you for being my guest today. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for asking me. My pleasure. 
So next week, back by popular demand, my guest will be top innovation blogger Mitch Ditkoff. You may recall that he was my guest last November and we discussed creating a culture of innovation. And we decided at the end of the show that we had a lot more to talk about. So he's returning to share his latest passion, which is corporate wisdom circles, a new way to engage in deep sharing and inspire powerful insights. So a little collaboration again we're talking about. So thank you all for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, and we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 